0: This is The Strategist, episode 978. My name is Zane Belgie. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, it is a Thursday. It is the last day of March. And Corey Hogan, you've got some special announcements uh, to march us forward. Do you not?
1: I sure do, Zane. Tomorrow is the start of the government's new fiscal year, uh, which means that a number of new government initiatives will also be taking place that are tied to the budget. Um, so check. It's very jurisdiction dependent. But happy new fiscal year, everybody. Um, yeah. and uh, we look forward to checking in with you in 12 months to see how it went.
0: Well,
2: well, thank, thank you, Corey. You. That happy, was great.
0: Happy new fiscal year to everybody. To all those celebrating uh, across the country. Happy new fiscal year. Uh, are, we ca- are we, the, are we doing the countdown? To, I think, I he think, he think we're doing the countdown tonight.
2: I think we're doing the countdown tonight. Well, <laughs> well we're definitely countdown. doing the countdown.
0: Corey and I always get together on uh, fiscal New Year where we just like yeah,
2: you know, yeah. countdown
0: yeah. and yeah. You guys yeah. are
2: big partiers. um, but I think he skipped over the real news. Uh the real news is which is that I'm still doing shitty on my AFL. Fell off, <laughs> fell off on Sunday and then last night sw- like the Swans just forgot how to score. Is is the only way to describe it. They just well, literally forgot that you have to kick the ball through the two tall uh Yes,
1: two, two no, tall. Stephen. Steven. I will take your word for it that that's how AFL is played, that there's some sort of ball, some sort of kicking and some sort of tall things. But to be frank, no one cares. So I'm going to take back the conversation now and say that with the start of new government fiscal year, uh, it was our hope to launch the strategist Patreon account. But unfortunately, um, strategists or the strategist was taken. Uh, oh. it, it unfortunately, it's been squatted on by, by a troll, I think it's fair to say. So at this point, we only have strategistpatreon.com. Uh, so we're looking to work that out, and then we'll get back okay. to everybody here on, on the strategist Patreon. But to be clear, currently housed at strategist Patreon, not the strategist Patreon.
2: Yeah. So yeah, strategist does... Patreon allows you to give us, or they can give us their money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. And get many rewards in return.
2: Like what? Uh, what kind of rewards? Yeah, it's Zane. literally not. Like you know what
0: you know what I have a sense of is that yeah. we have sold out. Our lives, yeah! Stephen Carter. Do you want to talk about selling out? I mean, it's In fact. This is done. our
1: shilliest opening ever. I'm I'm calling. I mean, it. I'm just feeling go pretty on to the good. Headlines.
2: Right now, we're gonna do uh, Pod Save America style. We're gonna th- flow, throw throw two three and a half minutes of commercials, and then we'll start it up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> love Pod team. Save America.
0: Carter, do you, like, ever feel like you're just sitting at home and you're like, oh, fuck, I got to, like, take care of something? Like, in this case, let's just, like, I'm pulling it out of my ass here. You got to mail a letter. No. And and you got to mail this letter. But you don't want to stand in line at the post office. What do you do?
2: What what do I do? I call yeah, what, stamps.com. Uh, Zane, thanks very much. <laughs> stamps.com, you're all in one service provider, provided with a partnership with the U.S. Postal Service. U.S., uh, stamps.com is like having a post office in your house, in your office, and yeah. you're able to do everything using your own household printer. Well,
1: but how could I possibly do that? I, obviously, I'd have to weigh these packages. Is
0: there? No, is there no, any- no. Yeah, here, here's what you do. You don't have to do anything because what you can ultimately do is find the right help. Find the right person. The way you do that it's through is through ZipRecruiter.com, Corey. We'll find you the right talent. I mean, eight out of 10 employers trust ZipRecruiter.com to help them find the person to wear their packages for Stabs.com. And you know what? When that employee ultimately leaves, you need to give them a nice little send-off. You know, you you feel like you don't need to move on. Sherry's Berries, Corey. Sherry's Berries provides a, a tremendous set of uh, frozen and fresh berries delivered to your door. I mean, it's incredible. It really is, Carter.
2: Oh, I just I, I hope we do the green drink too. What's the green drink? I can't remember.
0: Athletic Greens, Carter. Athletic, Athletic Greens, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you feel, Corey? You're good. Uh, I started
1: uh, drifting. I started thinking about other things. I'm currently uh, web browsing on adamandeve.com for all of my adult toy (laughs) needs. (laughs) Uh, You you can get 35% off one item right now if you use the code AESAVE35 at checkup.
2: Oh, that's pretty great.
0: No, that's that's excellent. Uh, And, of course, if you need... uh, Anything uh, to complete your look, to complete your home, anything to perhaps use said toys, article.com. I mean, a Canadian <laughs> furniture manufacturer. Uh, visit article.com slash flair for your 10% discount discount code. That's article.com slash flare F-L-A-I-R. Flare Airlines, always drifting. Guys, let's move it on to our first segment. We have sold out our show. Our first segment, the headlines, they are back. Yes, they have been absent for a long time, and you might be asking yourself, why are the headlines back, Corey? Why are the headlines back, Stephen? Well, mainly, sometimes you find the best headline, the one, and you say, I need to build an entire segment around this. Stephen Carter, this one comes to us from the AP News. Nebraska lawmaker apologizes for debunked litter box claim. That is right. a Nebraska lo- state Lawmaker apologized earlier this week after he publicly cited a persistent but debunked rumor alleging that schools are placing litter boxes in school bathrooms to accommodate children who self identify as cats.
2: Stephen Carter. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it just tells tells you what some people want to believe. Like this, this re- I'm, I'm going to use this. I'm not going to make jokes. I'm going to, in fact, bring this back to uh, our problem with misinformation. Is not that just the misinformation itself. It is the fact that we wish to believe the misinformation. Uh, so we believe certain things, the left, the right, it doesn't matter. Bo- everybody chooses to believe certain... I believe I'm handsome. That is a piece of misinformation that I choose to believe because it makes my world a lot better. Uh, but this this is what happens. We want to believe something. And this lawmaker wanted to believe that there are, in fact, people in the world who want to identify as a cat and there are others who are woke enough uh, to place litter boxes in, in bathrooms. I mean, good God. I mean, people just want to pee. Isn't that, you know, just go in the toilet. We're fine. Jesus. <laughs> wait, to, wait a like, minute. It, At the it end, it became
1: really, really unclear to me what your argument was. was.
2: People just want to pee. It's a very, <laughs> people just want wait. to pee in the bathroom, Corey. They just want to pee. Just let them pee where they want to pee. That's very good. Yep. Yeah. Uh Corey. Uh, some piece standing up <laughs> some piece sitting down just let uh, them go
1: i'm more like i lay on the floor and and shoot fountain style that's my go-to
2: it was the best part know, about having kids it's when, they when just you go shoot to the
0: bathroom you. when you go to the bathroom regardless of how you go yeah you want to be safe and secure and the only way to do that is simply safe Corey. <laughs> simply safe <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to your home and and you know regardless of what you do in that bathroom you got your cell phone with you? Express VPN, Corey. Express VPN, it lets you ensure that you're not communicating directly to a website. No, they do it for you, Corey. Yeah, Stephen Carter's
1: using Express VPN right now, which is why he always seems so slow and delayed. It's not because oh. he's slow-witted.
2: Fuck it's off. because he's, <laughs> he's
1: protecting himself online. Did you know that uh, all of your browser history is available to your uh, internet service provider? Just Just be careful out there, folks.
2: And remember, Carter, you're, you're, use Squarespace when you're setting up your your uh, your nah, own the internet. Bits, the
1: bits over, Jesus. Carter. We yeah, Carter. On. What
2: the ah. fuck? <laughs> you, you know what? If I wasn't using on. that fucking VPN, <laughs> God. We,
0: we we beat up on Carter so much; it's probably like impacted his mental health, which is why he probably wants to go with BetterHelp. BetterHelp is your online therapist.
2: <laughs> this is this is just telling the people what happens if they don't go to uh, what is it StrategistPatreon.com. Uh, not the StrategistPatreon.com. Strategist, this is what will happen if you don't go to the Patreon. We will have to get advertisers. It'll yeah, be tragic.
0: It, we don't want to do that. We don't want to spend the entire show on Mostly advertisers. Mostly
2: because we're too lazy.
0: We're too lazy. we got things to do. Corey, our next headline comes oh, hold to hold us. On. No, on. I've I'm, got you, thoughts. I,
2: you got no thoughts. What are your thoughts? There's a litter box. Yeah.
1: It's a litter box, this guy. It's, it's a story about that and stuff.
0: The next headline comes to us from the Daily (laughs) Australian Prime Minister. Scott Morrison says renters should just buy a house if they want rent relief. That's right. The Prime Minister suggested that instead of looking, uh, buying a home, instead of renting, uh, those that are struggling with rent payments, the rising rent, should just look at buying a home. Uh, They unveiled their fourth budget on Tuesday. Corey, it seems airtight. It seems simple. If you want rent relief, why don't you just buy a home?
1: You know, the idea that Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake isn't real. You know, that, that didn't actually happen. That's something people threw at her to suggest that she was so out of touch and aloof that she could possibly think such things. This is, this is as bad. If you think that your problem with affordability is renting, therefore home ownership's your solution, there's about a million things wrong with that. A million things wrong with that. Uh, not least of which is down payments are involved. Uh, Home ownership is more than just your mortgage payment. It's a rare month I'm not spending one, two thousand dollars on some random thing in my ancient yeah. house. And um, uh, this just shows him a, a little more out of touch than any politician should dare to be. Because uh, at the end of the day, this is the kind of thing people throw back at you during an election. Um, it, it's not forgotten by the people who feel totally scorned by it.
0: Carter, isn't it? Is it just as simple as just purchasing a home if you want rent relief? It sounds airtight to me.
2: No, it's just as simple as the NDP saying, you know what we need to do? Just throw a bunch of money into the rental system and uh, expect that rents will stay low instead of landlords jacking up their rents to uh, to match the the new money coming into the system. Uh, rents go up. Um, supply and demand is is really what drives our economic system and it's surprising to me that some of these right-wing politicians who are so uh devoted to capitalism seem to miss the very first step of it and that is that supply and demand will equalize at a at a a set price uh depending on what you know where the demand and and uh uh, supply uh slopes meet so You know this is this is a this isn't a simple problem uh, with a simple solution. But I tell you, it's not as simple as Scott Morrison makes it. And isn't it just like the ten thousandth time that guy's put his foot yeah. in his mouth? Like he is just tragic. Let's go to Australia and run an election. Who's with me? Just me. Okay. No, no just you. it's yeah. it's just
0: you on your own. It's just yeah, on, okay. you on your own. No, yeah, it's fine. No
2: problem. Yeah, I'll I go mean, down. Listen,
0: Carter. Good costs times. are rising. Housing, you know, gasoline, meat. Uh, but there's a simple solution. It's HelloFresh. It's HelloFresh. Have <laughs> 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 you
2: just been writing these down? Like what the hell? Oh, <laughs> <I, I>, uh, <laughs> that's
0: that's. I think those are all the ones I know. I think that's it.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's continue. Think, next headline, think, Zane.
0: Next one comes to us from CTV, Stephen Carter, City of Vancouver, unimpressed with park bench plaque prank. That's right, stickers mimicking memorial plaques were stuck onto benches in and around Vancouver Stanley Park earlier this month. And the park board is not amused by the anonymous social media campaign to bring laughter to passerby's. They're all dedicated in the memory of jack shit. Uh, there's no date of birth or death date he's described in profane and affectionate terms. Stephen Carter, the the park bench saga. We've seen this many times in many municipalities. Your thoughts on people uh, trying to bring humor through a park bench?
2: I think it's funny. But I have a sense really? of humor. <laughs> I have a sense of humor. Have you ever met anybody from Vancouver with a sense of humor? I haven't. <laughs> You know, like, they are terrible people out there. It rains all the time, and that makes it hard for them to laugh, right? It just, it's hard for them. So, Victoria, those people are hilarious, but they're stoned all the time, so they have no reason not to laugh.
0: That's why this podcast is always brought to you by Abbotsford. Corey, uh, you know, (laughs) what do you think? What do you think? Uh, Do you want to defend the people of Vancouver, which uh, Carter has pretty much... To be uh, clear,
2: though, not the entire Lower Mainland, just Vancouver. That's, those yeah,
0: yeah I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for the clarity. Yeah. Corey.
2: It's like our third largest market.
0: Our third, like the podcast third largest yeah, market?
1: podcast third largest market.
0: When do you, we when have do you markets? Why, do we, why do you, why do you, <laughs> why do you know this and why do you care? <laughs> we
2: have markets plural? Like this seems weird. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. Corey, no, I'm going I'm, I'm
2: basing it all on just our friend Katie, who I've never known to laugh. So... <laughs>
0: that's good are we doing individual shout outs now
2: that's great i believe harder. that that's what brings us to the third largest market is katie listen <laughs> yeah. so that's are
0: we just gonna do a listing of all our listeners just thank them we should actually It'd be do our shorter
2: annual- than some of your podcasts you know like some of your quite you know they go for a while
0: good we'll thank all of our listeners in burlington next week with our burlington special just read all great. of the lister names Corey, this is something that you'll probably like. Uh, juicy fastball right down the middle. This one comes to us from Meat and Poultry magazine. Dairy Queen announces new signature stack burgers. That is right, Corey. The fast food uh, provider of choice to the Strategist Podcast is introducing new quarter and new third pounder and half pounder triple burgers, Corey. I mean, this is not an official press release that was picked up by one magazine, Meat and Poultry. This is big, big news for the fans of the grill and the fans of the chill.
1: So in the 1980s, uh, one of the fast food restaurants tried to bring out a third pounder. I think it was Burger King, but I could be mistaken about that.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: To, uh, to uh, you know, say our... our, with our the quarter pounder. Yeah, it's bigger than the quarter pounder. It's a third pounder. But what they found is that Americans, by and large, thought it was smaller because three is less than four. So I can only imagine that... Uh, does anybody think in the intervening 40 years, America's gotten smarter? Like, Does anybody think that this is more likely to succeed at this point?
0: Well, you think this—you think this burger is going to be a failure out of the gate? You're, oh, you're going back to history.
1: You're going to have some people saying, "I'm real hungry, too hungry for a third pounder. Got to get me that
0: quarter pounder." Carter, yeah. you know the the fundamental zoom out conversation here is really about the DQ strategy. Yeah. Is DQ leading too much into the grill and not enough into the chill?
2: <laughs> I actually saw the ad, and the ad was all burgers, and I was like, "No, too much I grill. I, I too much. It's called you got to balance wheat. it." You got, it's called Dairy Queen, but you don't go with, with the burgers. Like, the burgers yeah, Corey, don't make me happy. Like, did you kill a, the dairy cow to get to the dairy burger? I'm not very happy. So I want the cow, I, I need it all to mix up. Like, it needs to be the full meal deal kind of thing, right? Not, well, I mean, now I've just stolen. Would you, McDonald's would you want to, slogan? Fuck. Would you want, would you want
0: to know that the same cow is in your grill as it is in your chill?
2: I think so. I think that that would make it, you know, hey, it's Daisy's package, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that this, I like that. That works for me. Daisy produced Corey, less milk this week. Daisy burgers.
0: Is, I think we've created 16 minutes of tremendous value to <laughs> 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 to sign up for our podcast. Wait, to sign up for our what? Our Patreon. Okay. Yeah, Patreon. Ah, right. uh, this is good. Any final thoughts, Corey? Cuz I know you tried to turn this into a sanctimonious lecture of marketing knowledge and uh we all knew it uh and and we kind of railroaded that yeah. anything else on the grill and chill uh, are they choosing the right focal point here
2: he doesn't even have his glasses on anymore no, he, he's, he's not he's even losing listening. it yeah he's losing it he's
1: it's losing just, it what makes you think i'm gonna post this to our feed
0: what why, this is a why good would episode. you not post this it? it's actually stuff. pretty good I, trust me you'll listen back to it and you'll be like because you're the only one who does listen back to it
2: you'll be Like that was pretty good Do you remember you that, that one like that, that we did that was an hour long where we looped three 20 minute sections together this is Don't better remember. than that
0: Remember it? <laughs> all I know. All I know. Sold out a fucking theater. Four hundred shows. Let's move it Let's, on to our first. <laughs> Let's
2: move it on. Twenty percent our... <laughs> of our audience went all the way through. These people will IQ... listen to anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you are part of the twenty percent, we want to actually invite you to special focus group. <laughs> uh, and by focus group, I mean IQ
2: test.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just. Oh, Oh, well, (laughs) There's going to be whole sections of this bleeped out. Do you know what?
1: Maybe this is our first Patreon exclusive. Maybe this one right here.
2: I think it might be. Next headline, Zane. That's it. That's it, Carter. We're moving on to
0: our first segment. Our first segment. Dude, where's my car? Guys, the liberals have introduced their ambitious climate plan, which includes ambitious future focus towards electric vehicles, a... Uh, ambitious goal on the oil sand sector by 2030, cutting emissions by 42% from 2019 numbers, which was the last time we had an official inventory. Um, also, as part of the mix, talking about a permanent carbon tax, regardless of who takes government, uh, that was announced and that's being floated out. Uh, this, of course, coming just before the federal budget, which I also want to talk about shortly. But Carter, when you saw it, let's start with you here. When you saw the announcement here, where did you kind of lean? Were you thinking this was right on schedule, the lane that the liberals would occupy? Did you feel like this was a bit ambitious? Or did you feel like this was kind of a, mm, I was looking for a bit more, having seen this government, and perhaps even seeing this government attach itself to the NDP over the past week in, in terms of um, the supply and confidence agreement? What did you make, top line thoughts when you heard about the agreement come out from the, from the liberals in their climate plan?
2: I thought it was good. I thought that the numbers were good. You know, like a 40% cut by, you know, by 2030. That's a big number. It feels big um but then when you read through uh the details of what's going to happen uh and how it's going to unfold i i was actually pretty impressed i thought you know nothing felt like it was totally unattainable um i think that you know there's a school of thought and and maybe it's shared by the the hosts of this podcast cuz two of the three of us have ordered uh, electric cars and one of us drives a 2005 electric or Toyota Corolla so you know <laughs> that has that
0: has common electric issues that is correct yeah, yeah. It, you know
2: barely run. <laughs> Uh, so got, obviously, got, it's very got a, it's carbon neutral. Yeah, it's got a plug. Yeah. <laughs> got very, a plug. <laughs> very carbon neutral. So you know, I, I think that the the world is moving quickly, and I think that this forty percent cut feels like it's actually right on schedule. It feels like this is something we can achieve, and. Um, You know, there, of course, was the requisite whining from the from the conservatives, but they never present anything that they'll do. And this is becoming really important to Canadians, um, if for no other reason than we're seeing the impacts of climate change every single year. Um, you know the flooding that we've seen in in british columbia the the wildfires we've seen in bc and and Alberta and across the country um, the, these things are real I mean just even the hailstorm that happened here in in calgary uh, up in northeast calgary a couple of years ago I mean, you can still see the damage that 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 hailstorm caused and the impact that it had on real people's lives so when when everybody is out screaming about how this uh this change will have impact on real people's lives I, I was try and figure out what the balance is because the balance should be the impact from the actual climate change that is occurring and the impact um that these people are going to have to pay for through higher carbon tax i mean the, the the vast majority of the cost of gas today across canada isn't carbon tax um the vast majority of the cost is just the cost this is what it costs to you know so it's still not much more expensive than a liter of water a liter of gas.
0: You know, Corey, one of the things that struck me in its simplicity was 2030, which we keep re- repeating around climate over and over. 2030 is like eight years away, less than in many ways. And so when you look at some of these goals, right, like I mentioned, uh, the one off the top regarding the 42% uh, reduction from the 2019 last inventory uh, on um, on emissions, Uh, The Liberal government also saying that by 2026, they want 20% of all new passenger vehicles sold to be electric. By 2030, 60%. That, you know, by by 2030, they're kind of aiming for these goals that the the, uh, carbon tax would be at 38 additional cents a liter. 2030 is not that far away.
1: Yeah, and one of the interesting things about this for me is... Through most of my lifetime, we would set ambitious climate goals and then we would kick them further or they would get less yep. ambitious as we started to get into nearer term horizons. Eight years to your point is that's just two governments. That's, you know, something that we're going to see very quickly. Uh, time sure does fly. But we're actually seeing. Government get more ambitious as 2030 mm-hmm. is approaching, as 2035 is approaching. People moving up their targets, getting getting grander in the you know the electric vehicle targets, for example. I think that's a pretty good one. Sixty percent by 2030 is is a lot, right? That's a that's a huge chunk of the uh, of uh, of any uh, you know country's fleet. But when you look at the numbers, some of it seems to be not the most dramatic bet by government because the market is taking us there anyhow. If you look at this podcast, which is clearly representative of the nation as a whole, 66% have electric vehicle purchases in progress as we speak. So it's it's happening. It's going to be occurring sooner uh, than later. And I think one of the things that you have to sort of grapple with when you are in particular in a jurisdiction like Alberta, but I think really anywhere where you're more carbon dependent is... What, is, what the hell does this look like for you in 10 years? What are we going to be doing in 10 years and how are we getting on this bus? Because otherwise it's going to run us right the hell over.
2: Well, there's big things like the zero emissions vehicles was obviously a big thing, but I think that we, yeah. we, we don't understand, like the transportation industry, uh, when we start to see those zero emission vehicles come across in the, you know, the, the large trucks, the transport trucks, that Coupled with uh, vehicle autonomy, the ability for them to drive themselves is going to be a significant change. And when when that happens, the cost advantages are going to be so dramatic that we will see uh, really big shifts uh, oh. to the to that type of technology in a very short period of time. Um, you know. The, that auto driving technology when it when it happens suddenly those trucks can run 24 7 uh and they just get to where they're going um and if it's zero emissions i mean how, how long the battery is, how much they can pull all of those things will be figured out by a lot people a lot smarter than me but it doesn't take a genius to figure out that those truckers that were protesting on capital or uh at, at um um the hill um they're they're facing a much bigger threat uh, than vaccines, uh, because the much bigger threat is just an autonomous vehicle picking up their load and and taking it where it needs to go.
0: Carter, I'm curious to get your take, starting with you and and then jumping off to Corey, around the conservative response here, specifically to how they've been positioning this. So in the past, the conservative response, you know, might be to scoff at, might be to reject the premise of a climate plan. They haven't done that this time. They say they support emissions reductions, but not Trudeau's goal, Harper's 2030 goal, which is a much lower percentage. It's that 30% uh, below 2005 levels versus that 40 to 45% that the Trudeau goal is going for. What do you make of the conservative strategy here and the conservative message? Are you in on what they're trying to do here by going back to Harper not rejecting it entirely maybe trying to come across as a little bit reasonable as they try to paint the liberals as a more radical left agenda so to speak does this kind of give them room to appear reasonable with their with their previous goal of uh that, that Harper kind of put on the table
2: well I think that I, I want to take this a couple of different ways because I I want to give them credit for at least being mature uh and not just doing the this is a horrible thing you know think of the cost to the to the economy piece because We've, we've critiqued them for just kind of tearing everything apart. So this isn't just them tearing something apart. This is actually now something where they are presenting something of an alternative plan. The problem, of course, is that Harper's plan was just to put numbers on the screen and really not say how the achievement was going to happen. It almost feels like it's going to be some sort of fair market kind of capacity to change the, the, the system. And you know what? The system itself might change fast enough. Uh, without many market interventions, uh, to get to, to the conservatives point of view. But there's also one more problem. So, and the, the other problem is, what's the difference between 30 and 40 percent? right? What's the difference between 30 and 40 percent? Now, we might know the difference between 30 and 40 percent. We might be able to put our hands on it and say, holy shit, that is a ton difference in carbon emission reductions. But to to the average person, does 30 to 40 percent make much difference? It's all the same. Even the conservatives are saying that it could be 30 percent. So what's 40 percent, right? And so I think that it weakens their argument. If I was running... Their opposition structure. What I would say is, let's lay it into what is the actual cost and how quickly is this going? Um, that that to me is the way to to dive into it and and present your own ideas and say this is how we can achieve these things uh, with less impact on the average Canadian family. Um, but overall, I just think that their response is fairly tepid.
0: Corey, what do you think of the conservative play here that they that they went for accepting the premise, changing the number.
1: Well, in some ways, yeah, it does show a certain amount of growth, doesn't it? Although, I gotta tell you, back to Harper. This is, this is not, in my estimation, going to be a winning line. Um, mm. It's starting to feel really old even now in 2022, and it will feel very old by 2025, to be talking about the guy who was there 10 years earlier, like literally 10 years earlier by the time we hit the next election. It'd be like if in 2003, the Conservatives were running on back to Mulroney, just to give you some context here. <laughs> from,
0: the, from the time perspective, yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, the world has changed so bloody much since Stephen Harper was prime minister. And I think that Canadian attitudes on climate change have changed as well. And in some ways, saying this is back to Harper will it, it it will cut the other way too. It will make people think it's an insufficient plan because there is an understanding that we were not doing enough uh, ten years ago. You hit a certain point, and it just feels like the past, and it feels like cavemen and cavewomen. It doesn't feel like it's uh you know it's a relevant argument today, even if the thirty percent is is somewhere within the ballpark of forty percent. Is it enough? No, 40% is probably not enough. But uh, y- you can understand the appeal if you're a true believer, but step outside of your bubble and ask yourself, if you're just a middle-of-the-road Canadian, who gives a shit if it's back to Harper, the guy who was prime minister 10 years earlier by the time we hit the next election?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, Corey, I want to talk to you about the <clears throat> domestic Alberta-based response by by Rachel Notley, because she was also came out swinging against Justin Trudeau on this. She mentioned that <clears throat> This 42% was a non solution of fantasy. You know, she pointed out that there's a inherent unfairness in the scheme that the oil and gas sector produces 26% of emissions. Transportation produces 25%. Oil and gas has to hit this 42% cut while it's just 11% for transportation. How is that fair? I'm curious to get your strategic and message mind to her opposition to, to Trudeau's, um, climate plan. Um, of course, with the obvious, caveat, and then the point to be made clearly that, you know, she's on the progressive side of the political spectrum here. So interesting to see her remarks on something like this. I'm, I'm very much of two minds on it. I have to say because my first reaction
1: was, Oh, for fuck's sake. Are you kidding me? Because we all know fundamentally that even 42% is not enough. Like the world is on fucking fire and it's time to do something about it. And, uh, the foot dragging that we've been doing is, is too much. I'm, I'm so sick of every summer. There just being another forest fire somewhere that I love, just burning down and polluting my cities, just choking them. If you live in the West, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We can't hand wave it away anymore. You know, it's gone from, well, this is a one-in-a-hundred-year event to our next one-in-a-hundred-year event to our third to our fourth. Guess what? Just events now. Uh The world is in trouble, and we need to do something about it. It's hard, however, to dispute the specifics of what she said in terms of, like, the the equity of dealing with it between the various industries. And, of course... um, there is also the practicalities of how in the world are we going to do this because a climate plan that ignores working people or a climate plan that is not attainable is one that's going to have a backlash mm-hmm. to it. And so I do take her point on that. Uh, but I think a more constructive approach would have been not rebutting the reductions to oil and gas, but instead saying, well, it, it's also important that transportation does its part. And that's what I would have been looking more for than the suggestion that we just can't do it and throwing up our hands. Cause I, uh, you know, We have to do it. It's not – you know, it it seems impossible. Living on this planet on our current trajectory seems more impossible.
0: Carter, navigate the politics for me. What are you thinking?
2: I think that she's still uh, suffering the pain from 2019 when she was the ruiner of all oil and gas, and she took that beating that uh, Jason Kenney put on her uh, in that election. And so as a result, she wants to be seen as the protector of oil and gas. Well, she's not ever going to be seen as the protector of oil and gas. I actually would have much preferred it if she said, you know what? We stood up on a stage uh, here in Alberta with uh, industry leaders and we instituted uh, a real carbon tax uh, because the industry knew that it was the right thing to do. And I have a lot of confidence in the technical capacity of our industry. Um, they are looking for the incentives that are coming from the federal government. They are looking for the opportunities that are coming from the federal government. And they will rise to the task of achieving this goal and, in fact, exceeding this goal as they have every other step of the way when we've asked them to achieve something environmentally. Uh, the Canadian oil and gas industry is amongst the best in the world. Um, and we need to – they know the challenge they've all written the challenge into their strategic plans into their 10-year plans into their 20-year plans they know where they're going and i want them to lead so uh, and they want to lead this this protectionism of the of the industry it felt weak to me and it and <clears throat> it's it's running to be second place in an argument that you know you're never going to win don't do that be on your own platform um, take your own message. Don't just try and be second t- place to to the UCP in protecting the oil and gas industry. They just don't need your protection.
0: <clears throat> Corey, you wanted to jump in on your... Uh,
1: well, I, I, Carter said so much of what I want to say, and I agree with it emphatically. One of the things that I think the NDP really erred on in 2019 was how all in they went in the preceding year on oil and gas. And it, it's not because they were wrong about the importance to the economy for some of its market access and the oil industry was really, really challenged by our lack of what we call takeaway capacity and, and our ability to get product to market because it's a commodity and the marginal barrel sets the price. And when you've got oil that people literally cannot get rid of, the, the price of oil will plummet and the effect will be severe because here in Alberta, we use that to pay for road schools and hospitals, all of the good things that, you know, the public services we rely on. But by raising the issue of oil and gas so much, by continually talking about it, by fighting about it, by making it the big scene and by, uh, you know, having the big conversation about this with the UCP, you played right into them, right? It, this is kind of ballot box 101. You, you don't set your ballot question on the other guy's strong turf. And if your big issue is supporting oil and gas, you're not going to vote NDP, You're not going to vote NDP. So you've got to change the big issue. You've got to change the conversation. And in 2023, election looming here in Alberta, the big issue can't be support for oil and gas or the NDP are not going to win. It's as simple as that, right?
0: Yeah. Keep going. Keep going.
1: Well, look. The other thing is it's very easy because of the amount of money oil and gas has and the amount of influence oil and gas has in a province like Alberta to believe of that there is a certain omnipotence to the industry. It's not really there. Uh, the Alberta economy is not as undiversified as people think and or as people act. And when you look at the number of people who work directly in oil and gas, it's a smaller percent of the workforce than work directly in the finance sector in Ontario. Uh, it's not discounting its economic impact. But there's fewer all the time, fewer and fewer Albertans think of themselves as oil and gas dependent, even those that frankly probably are because they work adjacent to the industry. So you can't, the other reason not to hitch your start of this wagon is that's not what people think is next. It's not even what people think is now for most of this province. So give them a now, give them a next, and acknowledge that if you're now and next is oil and gas, you're not an NDP voter and you're not accessible to the NDP.
0: Carter, I want to talk to you about something that you actually brought up, which was the carbon tax element here. Um, You brought it up in the confines of of the NDP, um, their their climate leadership plan. Uh, Talk to me about the federal carbon tax. I think the most intriguing element to me about this announcement on the federal side, we're going to kind of zoom back out to the federal, was their desire to enshrine it regardless of who's in government, a price on carbon. That that they wanted to kind of keep this guarantee to see the carbon tax climb to the levels the government has forecast, regardless of who's in government, with this approach, that it would be a fixed price over a time period known as carbon contracts for differences. The federal emission plan would enshrine future price levels and contracts between the government and low carbon project investors, they, thereby de-risking you know the the low carbon investments. Uh, what do you kind of think about this in terms of trying to future, quite literally, future-proof? A very controversial piece of policy, as we've talked about in previous episodes, in a time where, yes, you may have an agreement with the the NDP about your future governance, but people will shift, governments will shift, and there's a popularity on the other side of the House, on the conservative side, that will more than likely want to reject this. I'm curious to get your take on, on this political maneuvering and, and, and thereby the policy maneuvering that will be certainly required thereafter. Your thoughts on this?
2: Businesses like certainty. Right. And so, mm. you know, even, even when governments, um, so in my lifetime, we've had two controversial taxes introduced. Uh, the, the GST brought in by the conservatives and the carbon tax brought in by the liberals. Um, and, and we can just use Alberta as a microcosm because, of course, Rachel Notley's, uh, NDP government brought in a, a carbon tax prior to, uh, the federal carbon tax taking effect. And so we had our own carbon tax. So the federal one didn't apply. Jason Kenney came in promptly, uh, repealed the Alberta carbon tax didn't stop us from paying carbon tax. We still have been paying carbon tax the entire time because the federal carbon tax just came in. Uh so I think that governments political parties come in and they they rally against the tax. They will vote, you know, Jean Chrétien was going to repeal the GST when he was, you know, in his first term, uh when he was running in 1993. Um or no, 19 It was 93. Yeah, okay. Uh I'll be okay. Um he didn't. He didn't. I mean, the only tax change that we saw was Stephen Harper giving up 2%, uh, which was, you know, in most jurisdictions occupied by the provincial government. So, I mean, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing to enshrine a tax, but it's also a tricky thing to walk away from a tax because ultimately the urge to spend is significant and the ability to increase revenue or create revenue is hard. So when these taxes are essentially if you will, bought and paid for by the previous governments, we tend not to undo that. Um, so enshrining it through uh, contracts and enshrining it through some sort of business predictability, it's actually, a, sure, it's, it's a smart move for the government, but it's also a smart move for businesses because mm. it does give that certainty and it does enable the... the the cost structure to be there so that when they're making their investments in their wind farms that take 15 or 20 years to pay off, um, there's not going to be a foundational shift that undermines the, the, the profitability of those investments. Um, so I'm sure that industry wants to see it. I'm sure that, um, the governments uh, of future days will rail about how they're not able to take it apart. Um, but they'll, they'll be pleased that they're not able to because they want the revenue structures, even though 90% of this revenue structure is going back to Canadians.
0: Carter, Cor- uh, Corey, I should say Carter says smart for business, smart for politics. Uh, Corey Hogan, MBA, uh, with a uh, very fine GMAT score. Do you agree?
1: Certainly from a business perspective, there's nothing not to like about what's been proposed, right? So for clarity as to what is being suggested here, it's that... Uh, it's de-risked from a business point of view. If the right, carbon price right. goes down and it doesn't go up to 170 and you've made business decisions to reduce your carbon because it will save you money, well, then I think it's the Canadian Infrastructure Bank will just cut you a check for the difference, being like, well, this is what you would have been paying in carbon. So like effectively, you don't have to worry about it if you're a business. Now, uh, does that make it good policy? Well, probably it does mean with more certainty there will be more investment in that space and that's good for the planet. And so I'll I'll say yes if everybody was a rational actor. My concern is that Governments these days are proving themselves too thoughtless and and willing to take those multi-billion dollar hits in order to prove a point. We see it time and time again. We saw it in Ontario yeah. with the, the cancellation of the wind contracts. Frankly, we saw it uh, to a, a lesser extent here in Alberta with the cancellation of the rail contracts for, you know, this tying into that previous issue of takeaway capacity, right? Uh, because they would rather make the point than make the profit, or or sort of make policy sense if you want to broaden it. And so, I don't know. I mean, I'm nervous. I'm nervous because if Pierre polyev becomes the Prime Minister of Canada, do we actually think he's not going to just cancel the carbon tax anyways? Because A, not every business is going to yep. take the government up on this and get involved in this. And so there will still be many, especially smaller businesses who will say, yeah, you know, fuck that carbon tax. And two um, – Because it's been de-risked from a business point of view, are they going to yell about it if the carbon tax goes away? No, probably not, because they still end up getting money in their jeans. And if you happen to be the concrete industry, that means in the short term, you'll pay less or middle term. And when the world turns back around and continues to reduce carbon, you will have had much of that paid for as you started making transitions during the uh, the liberal times. So I'm a little leery and I'm very suspicious as as a fundamental point of any government trying to tie the hands of a future government.
0: Corey, you know, I have to ask you as we kind of think, and, and you make a good point about probably Everett because you even talked about the infrastructure bank. That's one thing he's recently said in the last couple of days that he would scrap. Uh, and I want to, I'll get into that, you know, not today, but perhaps in a future episode, et cetera, to talk about all his 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 announcement strategy, which is almost seeming like one every two days, quasi blockbuster announcements, provocative announcements. But Corey, to this point that you mentioned earlier. Um, When you were talking about the Alberta problem of ambition and that fires choking cities in the West here, the crisis elements of this, I think, is the most interesting. Does this do enough for the crisis that we are in versus the politics that we can digest? And I'm curious to view that through the lens of the NDP in your mind, which is they've, they've come to the table with this deal. Their criticism is already there. You know some of that 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 uh that narrative that we've heard is that anything good that happens the government takes credit for. This is one of the lines, right? Anything bad that happens or that doesn't seem in the plan the NDP couldn't get it in there. And they're already starting to face some of that criticism. Well, why isn't this more ambitious? Why are some of your policy points NDP not found in here? This is a liberal copy and paste of their platform. Where are you to the table? I'm curious to view it through of course the political strategy lens which is what we do, but also talk about it from the crisis perspective, if you're the NDP right now, how are you positioning yourself and talking about this uh, with the uh, the moral compass that you kind of have now occupied in a more formal and official sense?
1: Well, keep in mind that the liberal climate plan was called by many a better climate plan than the NDPs during the, the during election. election. Yep. Yep. So it's not inherently obvious to me that the liberal climate plan is is in some ways insufficient relative to what the NDP would have done.
0: Agreed, but there's things that the NDP plan certainly hand around the 2050, you know, uh, yeah. emissions, et cetera, that that we don't see necessarily in this in this scope.
1: Well, and I myself have made comments in the last 20 minutes that I think maybe this is even insufficient, and maybe we mm-hmm. need to go further. But we also de- do need to kind of pair that against this is the most ambitious climate plan that the country has had we continue getting more ambitious in this space just because this is our plan today doesn't mean we'll not have even more to do and more to say tomorrow so um, I, I, you know I don't know I'll, I'll say if you're the NDP it would be very tough to uh, to go too too far and say that this is insufficient because there's the politics of it for many Canadians I think mm-hmm. the question is is this too much Uh, But beyond that, it's not clear that what you're offering is better, or was better. And yeah, there might be individual components of it, but you don't have the strongest ground to stand on here. So, so many people think the Liberal plan is stronger than the NDP one to begin with.
0: Carter, how are you, uh, let's talk about crassly in political sense, how are you taking credit right now for the NDP?
2: Well, we just signed a deal. We demanded that there be certain actions, and this is one of the actions that we demanded. Um, this is our, this is our new policy. Congratulations to everybody. This is a big step forward, and the liberals would not have been able to do it without our, our kick in the ass. Um, so. Uh, you know, the minister may stand up and take credit. The prime minister may stand up and take credit. But the only way that they would have really been able to get this done is if they'd done it. And they didn't until they had our help. So this is now the NDP plan. It's not the Green plan. It's not the Liberal plan. It's our plan. And uh, I think it's going to be good for industry. And I think it's going to be good for the environment. And I think it's going to be good for Canadians. Is
0: there a way that the, that the, the, the NDP, because we're expecting, I'm going to lead into the budget in a second, and we're going to see a lot of items come out of that budget, one expects, but is there a way that the NDP on a pure strategy level, Corey, can overplay their hand by running that line over and over and over again, which is like, you're welcome. You like that? You're welcome. Uh, You're you're welcome. Like just just that victory lap. You're welcome over and over uh, as the numbers get bigger and they start with B rather than M in terms of billions rather than millions. Is there a way that how do you preserve that one line uh, and that one strategy uh, from from not getting old? And how do you pick your spots here?
1: Well, it's going to get old. That's, that's the reality of it. But it's not old yet. This is still a relatively new deal. And I don't think the, the two events are so far removed that the NDP can't say and come off as fairly credible with people. You know, the the liberals would not have been able to do this or even the things that are liberal things that are ambitious, they would have not been able to do without NDP support. Uh, They knew that. We knew that. This announcement is a direct result of them having a majority government, which we got out of them by demanding certain things. Uh, You know, you don't even need to say this was one of the things specifically you demanded. You just need to talk about the fact that government is operating as it is and taking the big swings it is because the NDP have found a way to make government work for Canadians.
0: We're going to leave that segment there, moving on to our next segment. Our next segment, Help Me Brand a Budget. Guys, I want to talk about the budget coming up next Thursday. Christopher Freeland, our Deputy Prime Minister, Finance Minister, will get up and introduce a budget. To get us started on this, Corey, I want to actually get both your perspectives and just your honest hot takes on this. We've heard two versions of what this budget could look like. Prior to this NDP liberal agreement, we heard some ground softening during the height of the initial first days of the uh, Russian invasion into Ukraine that we might be looking at. I shouldn't say this word because it wasn't necessarily repeated, but a version of liberal austerity here, right? Back to basics is what we heard. We heard the back to basics budget. Now with the agreement, Uh, People are expecting, at least in the other school of thought, jaw-dropping numbers, that this gives them runway, license, opportunity to spend, 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 ambitious, ambitious, ambitious. Corey, boring your phrase from last time, uh, perhaps help Justin Trudeau pave the way for the most consequential uh, prime ministership uh, in in a generation. Corey, from your hot take perspective, just a, a sentence or two, do you expect column A, back to basics, or column B? ambitious budget now that the liberal NDP partnership is solidified?
1: I expect language along the lines of A, actions along the lines of B. They they are redefining what is the basics in in this country. We have universal childcare as a basic. We have action on climate as a basic. And they'll talk in moderate language and they'll say – uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stick to the things that are important. We're gonna you know look at the books. We're gonna take care of these eight trillion different programs, and you know just really get down to our knitting. We're we're done being. – I'm not gonna say they're done being overly ambitious, but they're going to they're going to act as though this is all kind of the new norm, and maybe it is the new norm here.
0: Okay, you've you've answered my second question here, which is going to be the heart of the segment. So thank you for spoiling this entire thing, um, <laughs> Co- Carter column a column B or do you agree with Corey uh,
2: I think that I, I actually don't know um, you know the the announcement that they're going to move forward uh, with the uh, the the purchase of the F f-35s yeah you know the 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 war itself the the requirement I think to see some military spending change I was actually thinking it was going to be a relatively um, well I don't want to – I think that there was a limit in terms of how much money, how big the deficit could be. And I also think that there was going to be a fairly significant upside in terms of a revenue uptick, uh, from, you know, taxation and those types of things as the economy rebounded. So I think that, um, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they actually put it out there, uh, and how much room they give the NDP to take credit for a budget that, uh, was probably pretty baked before this deal even came to be so it, it's it's gonna be pretty it's gonna be fascinating for me I I think it could be a big 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 spend uh, but then that big spend levels off for four years and uh, so one year is done and then the the revenues catch up with the spend uh, by by year four is kind of my thinking right now but I'm dying to see it
0: well, here's the thing, and this is where I want—I I, kind of titled the segment "Branding a Budget." And Corey's already gotten into this a bit, which is if this is expected to be a budget that is in that liberal NDP, you know, uh, alliance uh, sort of spend big ambition game, I want to ask you guys about two things: ambition and brand. What would you do now that this agreement is under your belt? What would you think about? How would you brand this thing? Corey's already kind of given me the redefinition of basics, but we've talked often on this podcast in both general strategic terms, but also with specific budgets, provincially, federally, that it's a branding exercise. I find this moment to be very interesting for the liberal government because the cloud cover of COVID is potentially over. They might be trying to extend it, trying to, you know, ensure that, that we've forever changed because of COVID. We're now redefining what this country looks like but you also need to sell that. And so Carter, I want to get your thoughts on this first before I go to Corey and maybe have him expand on his that he laid out earlier. If you had carte blanche and strategic advisory right now to the prime minister and perhaps even Jagmeet Singh, give me the sense of the brand and the ambition that you would look at right now. And let's be be like, uh, like a strategy whiteboard here. What would you talk to them about? And what would you think about in terms of how they would present this thing to the Canadian public coming up next Thursday, a week from today?
2: Yeah, I think that it's going to be like the one-time fix, right? Like we are going in and we are fixing that which is wrong. And we are going to tackle it um head-on right now. And we're not waiting for for different economic opportunities. We're not diff- waiting for different times. This is it. This is the time when we need to actually see significant change for our country. And that's why this budget is as far-reaching as it is. It is designed to create – um Opportunity, and it's designed to 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 fundamentally change the way that uh, our country operates, and that's why we're doing it all in one fell swoop. We're not waiting to drag this out over the course of four years. We're going boom. This is what's going to happen, and uh, Canadians are going to be thrilled with the outcome. So
0: one-time fix versus a uh, Corey's, and I'm Corey. I'm like I'm I'm, I'm projecting a bit, but. Something to your point about you know redefining the basics, Carter. I'm curious why a one-time fix and not like a uh, like a straight-up revolution style. Like this is what the new category of basics will mean in this country. Or, this is what is required, not just once but ongoing. This is the redefinition of what government is here to do. Why not that? ambitious message now that they've got the runway to do it curious to hear your strategic thoughts on that
2: i just feel like it's it's um it's too much for people to understand i feel like you want to just come out and say you know this is, this is what you asked for. This is what you got. One time it's all fixed. Away m- we go. People think we play politics and we do play politics, right? You make X number of changes in the first year when they're going to be unpopular. And then you undo them all in the fourth year when everybody, you know, all of a sudden these things become popular. Uh, and you become a more popular government because, um, the electorate is, is all over the place. We can't predict where they're necessarily going to be. So this is kind of us saying you got everything now. You're going to get it all at once, and it really ties in nicely to the to the NDP deal and and the the shift in focus. So I, I think you can't. I mean, there's nothing wrong with what Corey's saying. Corey's not saying something that is inherently um, out of step with what I'm saying. We're just putting a different ta- different huh. spin on the same type of idea, which is this is what you asked for. This is what you got, and. You know, I think I'm. I think I'm putting them into the same category, Corey, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm stepping too far.
0: Yeah, j- jump in here, Corey. From what you've heard from Carter, and expand on uh, the, the same questions. What would your advice be to them about their ambition, and what would your advice be to them in terms of how they sell it and the brand of this budget?
1: Yeah, you said that you thought this was going to be a very consequential budget. I think it's going to be quite a forgettable budget. There's been. So many different moves that we've seen in the last bit, including the NDP liberal deal, the the environmental play that we were just talking about here. Uh, in many ways, this will codify a lot of things we already knew were happening, including – well, we'll see. I mean, it remains to be seen. But the, the deficit's been projecting down Um don't forget, there was like a a crazy deficit in in like the high two hundred billions. I think uh the, the previous year. It, it looks like it's going to come in at about one forty four. So it's going to be about half the size for this year. And when they project forward, what's nuts is even running a hundred billion dollar deficit. It's going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that yeah. seems that's. It, it, if we get less than a hundred billion all of a sudden, you know, hey, down to those double billion digits, that looks pretty good to me, right? So <laughs> do you
0: mean do you mean forgettable? just so I'm clear on this? Do you mean forgettable by design? or do you mean forgettable because it won't be material enough and as ambitious as as some of the speculation around it suggests?
1: I guess I mean forgettable in the sense that it's not going to – maybe I'll regret this in a week, but I don't think it's going to surprise us. I think it's going to have an mm. awful lot of things that we already knew were in it. And even what would be sticker shock if we were comparing it to 2015 yeah. is, is not going to feel like sticker shock just based on where we've been with COVID-19 and, and everything that's going on. Mm. And so when the when the liberals talk about getting back to basics uh and reducing the deficit, I think they will. Sure. I mean, why not? They're, they're raising some revenue. We know that's coming because of various taxes on wealth that are being projected, but also just, you know, resource revenue in the trajectory that we're already on here. And, and so they're not going to need to change a lot of what they need to do. And what I imagine they're going to want to do is paper their current suite of policies as as basics, right? Like, I, I I agree with Carter. I don't actually think we're saying very different things here.
0: So so the question is, that's what you think they'll do. What would you advise them to do? Is that is that indeed what you'd advise them to do? Because your point about sticker shock could open up a theory that says, we've climatized to some insane numbers. Now's the time to throw out an even more insane number because we've got the appetite for it. Do it all at once. Be majorly ambitious. I, I'm not pushing this. I'm just trying to just, ask you. I mean, but like,
1: ultimately... It's real money, and if you, unless you want all of Treasury Board to quit in frustration, at a certain point, the government does need to think about how they're going to at least. I I don't know if balance is something that matters as much all the time. You know, it's, it's obviously, it's the difference between red and black, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that people fixate on, but. I'd be, of course, more concerned about deficit as percent of GDP, overall debt levels, debt as percent of GDP, whether we have the ability to burden it, because any any company is going to have a certain amount of debt because debt allows you to grow, make investments in the thing you want to make. You know, Alexander Hamilton thought deficit should be eternal, right? Because you're always just investing in the next things to come. But uh, but uh you can't just ignore the number, I guess is the point. You can't let it run up forever. Um If you're basically my age or older, you'll remember the backlash austerity of the 90s when it looked like our debt-to-GDP ratio was way out of control. It was out of control relative to other countries, and it was really affecting our economy more broadly. It was affecting people's confidence in the Canadian government. It was affecting our ability to do the things we wanted to do and have the ambitions we wanted to have. And the 90s were ultimately a pretty unambitious time, and you got to kind of find yourself a moderator, like, a, you mm. gotta got hit the gas at the right level there if you want to be able to proceed with this, if you truly believe in this agenda that's here. Now, if it's just all cynical politics and it's just looking to get through the next couple of years and have people like you, yeah, run whatever number you want. But, you
0: know, there's a country underneath that. But, number. Okay, so let me, let me phrase yeah. the question differently. Can I phrase the question slightly differently?
2: Actually, Carter, you I feel like you, you got, some, well, you got I something substantive to
0: say... to say, which is new. Well, I just wanted to <laughs> say
2: that. <laughs> This is the point. I, th- this is going to be substantive insofar as it, it – I think that there's going to be more in it uh, rather yeah. than just kind of l- moving it to – you know the this climate plan may not come with a significant price tag. It may come with a price tag. I don't know. We, we, we haven't seen all the details. But all of this is a um, substantial move away from – like the – the details are going to be really interesting as, as they're unfolded. I don't expect to see pharmacare, for example. I don't expect to see um, dental care. Uh, but the stuff that has been promised all does come with big price tags. And, yeah, I think the economy improving is going to eliminate pieces of the deficit. But the deficit is a – it's a fascinating thing. You know, do we really – I mean this is a whole episode – in and of itself, do we need to worry yeah. about deficits at a federal government level? And the answer is depends on how you develop the deficit. Um, you know, we hide now our deficits through P3s. Uh, we can have a whole debate about that too. Uh, where the, where the, the, you know, the cost of the project is borne by the private sector and, and it paid out over a period of time. That's actually almost all of us run deficits through most of our lives and then we stop running deficit as we get closer to death, right? (laughs) We take out mortgages, we take out loans, we, we, we grow, we we build our businesses, we build our, our structures. And then we get to a point where, ah, we're too old for that shit anymore now. And we got to start paying everything off and we pay it off just before we die. Um, the government doesn't die, right? The government doesn't die. So, and if the government does die, then who the fuck cares if you've got a deficit, right? So I don't know, that's a bigger conversation for a different day, but, um, it's a, it's something that we should be thinking. Like, if you're the liberals, I'm not saying go out and spend like it's crazy, but I'm not sure that the 1990s uh, austerity was necessarily the best play in the Canadian playbook either.
0: Corey, you wanted to jump in on this? Yeah. One of the things that I think we
1: need to talk a little bit more about is why they've chosen to talk about going back to basics. It's It's because Canadians are worried about affordability right now. Canadians are worried yep. about inflation and – when you talk about the basics and when you talk about affordability, well, let's put it this way. Spending leads to higher taxes, taxes leads to lower affordability is the simple thought that's in many people's heads around spending. And I'm not trying to be shitty to people, but it, and it's a pretty logical like, train for people to follow there. So they want to know that the Canadian government is not going to make their life more expensive. They're looking at basics in terms of how are we going to make housing more affordable? How are we going to make uh, groceries more affordable, gasoline more affordable? I suspect this back-to-basics budget will have a number of measures targeted towards things like that, more so than is the government narrowing its scope and doing fewer things. I think they're really talking about basics in terms of Canadians and how they're supporting Canadians with the basics.
2: I have a poll in the field right now, and affordability is everything.
0: So so here's the thing, and maybe this was my poor hosting of the show, which is a through line, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but here's the th- Okay, let me ask you the question this way, because this is what I want to get to. The prime minister comes up to you, Corey, and he says, fuck it, I have just signed the agreement with the NDP that lets me live out this legacy. We've got a four-budget agreement, right, or a three-budget agreement in place, I want to do big shit and I want to do the biggest shit now. This is the first budget of the agreement. You know, political principles say, do the biggest stuff now. Corey, how are you going to help me sell the biggest stuff? So rather than do we think or what would you advise? You've been instructed. This is what the principal wants. This is for legacy. This is for a, a further shift to the left. This is for big social programs. How are you in this time... Helping sell this big suite of proje- projects, you you can't fight him on it. You've lost that war one too many times. He's saying, "I want it all. Help me sell the most that you can right now." Triangulating the moment, the strategy, the 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 deficit, the revenue side of things. What are you kind of? What's your general sort of strategy and approach for selling an ambitious, game-changing, perhaps even jaw-dropping? budget next week. And I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. I'm now playing a game of in terms of if this is what your principal tells you, how are you doing it in this moment?
1: Yeah, big shit takes big thinking. And big programs take big money. And if you want these things to be durable, they can't be put on the credit card. So you want to be big, you want to change Canadian society fundamentally, raise taxes, much more aggressive progressive taxation rate. You know, the highest income tax rate in the United States in the 50s was like 92%. Right? We're nowhere near where we could be in terms of our quote-unquote ambition in that space. We've got to talk about corporate taxes. We've got to talk about how money moves around. We've got to talk about how we are ultimately going to capture more of the economy for the public sector if you want to grow the public sector. And so your ambition will be hollow if it's not matched with a way to pay for this thing over the long term. So if you want to go big in this budget... You go big on both sides. You go big on spending and you go big on revenue and you fundamentally remake Canadian society. None of these like bullshit boutique programs that we got in the 90s that were like $3 million for random program X, $5 million for random program Y, fundamentally change the tax code, fundamentally change Canadians' relationship with government. Go big if you want to go big, uh, but you've got to balance the scales here.
0: Carter, same assignment given to you. Corey's in the room there. You hear his pitch. What's your what's your response to your prime minister or to your principal when they say, I want to go big. I want it all. Your job is to help me sell the most I can get without tanking my political upside, my political opportunity. What are you telling him?
2: I'm telling him that we've got to make things like housing, food, transportation, and child care more affordable for every person in Canada. And to do that, what we're going to do is increase the, the amount that uh, the uber wealthy pay. Um, the uber wealthy in canada have been uh amongst the least taxed uh Corey mentioned statistic about what the taxation rates were like in the in the 1950s a period i might add where we did not suffer from growth uh challenges and it wasn't just the united states we had really much higher tax rates in canada at that period as well because we we are of course tied at the hip the 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 other guy paying, corporations paying, rich people paying, is incredibly popular in Canada. Um, so you can have that, but you can't lose sight of that which is driving people right now, and that is overall f- affordability. That childcare piece. I mean, I don't have kids in that this, this age range anymore, but Corey does. How much? How much? Like in terms of ch- of, of overall expenses, I would put childcare in your top five categories. Top it's four. Number, categories. It's
1: number one. Well. Housing's got to be number 1. No, housing is not number 1. Seriously. I have 3 kids, man.
2: Jesus Christ. I introduce you to a condom once in a while. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: Also, uh, are you I do you have are you are like are they completely insured because if not policy genius. Uh, oh, is something that you may want to consider. Yeah, Policy Genius is a is a, a simple way to, in minutes, uh, ensure that your entire family is insured. That's yeah, great. Carter. Thank you,
2: yeah. uh, Zane. Very very well pr- <laughs> produced in that moment. Um, but I think that you know the affordability discussion. Like, if, if you're going to make these types of major changes, you have to put it, and it's not really about affordability. It's about affordability at this time, because that's the concern that the general population has in this moment. Uh, if you do the kind of sweeping change that, that you've asked us to do, Zane, um, then you have to recognize the pressures that the population mm. feels themselves under and those pressures and you sell um, it,
0: you sell it with on, that pressure Yeah.
2: on that focus, right? You, one of the big mistakes in politics is when you go out and you try and sell something for why you want it instead of selling it for why the, the general population wants. I. We, I.e.
0: We need, we need a revolution. I've got the runway to do it now. Exactly.
2: <laughs> so you sell it on what they want, not what you want. It is a, fundamental difference and when a political party or a political leader does it sometimes we draw you know we, we deride it and say well that's just populism run amok yeah, yeah populism is a shorthand for popular um and at the end of the day most of us want to be popular that's how we get elected it is not that much different than the high school popularity contest uh that Corey couldn't win in in this in the uh eighth grade <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh cory how are you Let's end on here. Uh, going back to your initial back to basics, redefining the basics, give me the crisp one or two lines for how you would brand this budget, if you could yourself, and what would your brand overall be? Like, what would the, the, the book look like in the sense? What would your slogan, your tagline, what would it be from your perspective uh, heading into this Thursday if you were advising uh, for this budget?
1: I like Back to Basics. I like it because you can spin it in terms of those programs that I was talking about and Carter was going Uh on about, about affordability, right? Making, you know, the basics of government are to make sure that citizens have a good life and that they can afford it and they can do the things they need to do, want to do, have to do for their children, all of that, right? Which is why we've made childcare so much more affordable. That's why we're now tackling the cost of housing through these various programs. This is why we are we're making gasoline more affordable. i don't know if they'll go that far. that seems yeah, to cut know. against their climate plans. but you get my point It allows you to speak to the audience in that way. It allows you to speak to a uh you know a more opinion class audience in terms of the deficits going down. We're just taking care of the fundamentals of government. We know that we need to balance these books and and so it works uh works for a couple of distinct audiences that have anxieties that are not the same but have enough overlap and that overlap is fundamentally about a government that is yeah that I guess all of them want to be a little bit less mm. adventurous,
0: right? I guess can I ask you, Corey, like is is back to basics right in the sense of like because what you're arguing for is like the new basics, the new baseline, the new this is what this is what government needs to do uh, in that sense. Do you feel like back to basics kind of could open up the criticism of like opportunistic overreach or anything like that, or, or are you kind of you're comfortable with it as 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 back to in that regard?
1: I'm comfortable with it. One of the things mm. that leads me to say this is going to be quite a forgettable budget is that if your entire budget message is we're not going to do anything crazy, we're just going to do the normal things. Yeah. Well, then it's not going to be that memorable, right? Right. From a brand perspective. Yeah. From a brand even perspective. If, even
0: if under the hood, it it there could be some exactly. pretty substantive big picture yeah. like stuff. Yeah. yeah. And
1: I'm sure they'll target it towards the people who who want these programs like these programs, but their entire communication strategy, I think, is a bit of a calming of various horses yeah. out there, right? People who are saying, oh, my God, this government did everything for the economy over the past few years. Is that sustainable? Oh, my God, uh, the price of housing is going through the roof. The You know, the, the price of everything is going through the roof. What are we going to do? We need a government that stops spending and just calms down. And, yeah, you just talk to them through your messaging.
0: Carter? Uh, Corey's advocating for the back-to-basics budget, you know, roof over your head, something to eat, something to lay your head down on, a a nice pillow, Uh, of course, on your Helix mattress, Uh, another sponsor. Uh, Carter, what is your branding for this budget? What would you brand the book as? What would your one or two lines be to kind of really brand the budget uh, for next Thursday?
2: Man, I want to do that um, Staples ad that just says make it easy. Boom. Right? We're making it easier for Canadians. This is a budget that is 100% focused on making it easier for Canadians. We want to remove the threat of climate change actions around your house. Right? We want to make it so that you don't have to worry about uh, whether the forest that you go to to camp uh, during the summer is going to burn to the ground. We want to make it so that uh, floods don't take out all of the means into um into one of our great metropolitan areas in the lower mainland of uh, British Columbia. We want to make it so food is cheaper and is not going to be, uh, impacted by massive floods. We want to make it so that childcare. I mean, right now we have a $10 a day childcare deal across the province, or across, across the country for people with children. That is their number one expenditure, says Corey Hogan. So, you know, this is about bringing it back to you, making it easy for you. Um, sometimes governments get lost in, on all these other priorities. But at the end of the mm. day, our focus is on you, the Canadians that have elected us, the, the Canadians that, that, frankly, haven't elected us. But are people who want to see real change. And that's what we brought to you today.
0: Carter going with making it easy. Corey going with back to basics. Nicely done, gents. Let's move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, we're here for you. We do it for you. Yep. Stephen Carter, in or out? on the Liberal Climate Plan announced earlier this week?
2: Couldn't be more, I, I, I Over the last 10 years, I have become more and more committed to uh, climate change as an issue. And, you know, watching conservatives like Ken Bosonkool jump onto it as well, I think that there's tremendous opportunity uh, to make real change in, in the climate and in, in emissions uh, part of the Canadian uh, identity.
0: Corey, are you in or out on the Liberal Climate Plan that was announced this week? Well, I'm in. I, I am
1: solidly in the camp that we need to do as much as we can. And yes, we need to do it in a way that protects Canadians from, from the, the, you know, significant burden that would otherwise fall on them. And so let's, let's have the, uh, the burden of action on climate change fall on the people who are benefiting most from the current action on climate change. And I, I think that we've got to have a combination of, of wealth taxes and progressive income taxes and we need the people who are able to pay more to pay more and we got to switch hard we got to pivot hard because because we're in trouble here
0: Corey I'm going to stick with you for our next one are you in or out on the strategy So we do for Pierre Polyevra asking his supporters to for for defunding of the CBC are you in or out on the strategy here where he's going after the CBC it's been tried and true for conservatives he's back at that well right now Raising a shitstorm on it, in or out on the strategy. I,
1: I just, I don't think it's a very interesting strategy. It is, as you've said, pretty meat and potatoes for for a certain type of conservative. Uh I, I guess I'm out because I, I don't see anything interesting about it.
0: Carter, anything interesting about it, or is it just old-treaded ground that one would hit on if you're a a conservative in a conservative leadership race?
2: I've done surveys for about uh, ten years that look at how a uh where people would actually like to cut and where they'd like to increase spending when it comes to the actual specifics of a government and everybody says they want to see well not everybody people say they want to see cuts to the government spending but then when pressed they actually increase spending almost across the board Mm -hmm. the only exception is the cbc for conservatives conservatives honest to god want it cut so pierre is giving them what they want and in general that's a good strategy, as I've articulated uh, quite a few times through this through this podcast today.
0: Carter, overrated or underrated overall grand scheme of things, we look back this time next year, this upcoming budget, will it be overrated or underrated in its impact a year from now?
2: Uh, chances are it will be overrated. I would like it to be underrated, but uh, I'm often wrong, apparently. So says the Twitterverse.
0: Corey, overrated or underrated a year from now for this budget, what will it be? I think it's
1: going to be underrated. People will have forgotten it, but the impact will be there in the decisions that are made and the spending that is planned. And um, you know, this is this is right on the heel of some big climate announcements and a big deal with the NDP. So there's going to be some things in it that are going to fundamentally change the way we operate.
0: Corey, are you in or out on the Dairy Queen uh, signature stack burgers that have been announced uh, in Meat and Poultry Magazine?
1: Uh, I'm I'm out, Zane. I'm out yeah, on Carter. It.
2: Pardon, um, are you inter- uh, it, Dairy Queen's a, sp- a banana split p- p- place for me. Peanut butter parfait. Okay.
0: Carter, we'll start our last question with you. Uh, this is obviously going to be a full circle. Overrated or underrated, Vancouverites?
2: Uh, they are overrated, um, always. Uh, I would like Good. to hear Corey's response, though. I
0: said Corey, we'd
1: like to hear your response too. Yeah, Vancouver is an underrated place.
2: Guys, I just want to interrupt before you end the show, Zane. Yeah, 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 please. Um, I'd like to thank Angie for joining our Patreon page and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> becoming a Patreon. It's not even launched yet. <laughs> no, but Angie, no, Angie's in. I don't in. think she becomes a Patreon. I don't think she becomes she's a patron, a patron <laughs> of <laughs> she's, our Patreon. She's our fucking sponsor, Zane. Show some fucking respect. Um, Angie's in. Not only that, Angie didn't come in at the base level. Angie came in at like the ten bucks, so uh, we better figure out what that level gets because right now we've got a we've got a patron, so things are really looking up. Really looking up.
0: For us. Oh, it's 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 looking like a great day for us. I mean, it is. Um, I don't. I don't know. I I really don't know what to tell Angie. I I, I feel like uh-huh. she could have spent her money elsewhere, like on Brooklyn and sheets and pillowcases. I mean, that could be another place to spend your money on. That is, that is,
2: I think she does have a Squarespace uh, web page, though, so it's worked out. Corey,
0: anything else for for you to plug? Because uh, we were clearly uh, shilling on the front end, might as well do it on the back. End. Well, I just want to thank Angie. I, you know,
1: yeah. I'm looking forward to this being an entire segment at the live show.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the thanking of Angie. Yes, we appreciate it. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 978 of The Strategist. My name is Zaid Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.